Welcome to episode 244 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael, and with me today, we have Ryan, Jill, and Noah. And also, with just off-camera, we have piped in directly from our Jitsi room, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to discuss a community question on replacing all of your most used online services, from email to social media to much more, all with a privacy-focused solution-based. Uh, there were also we're going to be checking out a new th- smartwatch option that's guaranteed to make you pen testers drool. Plus, we have tips, tricks, software picks, and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week in our community feedback section, Chris submitted this comment. Hello to DL OGs of IT. Just thought I would share this, and he provided a link, which we'll have in our show notes. Michael's sit-stand desk has nothing on this. Now we just need the matching stool. Shout out from Japan, Chris. Now, for those listening in the podcast may not have the link accessible, the link takes us to a desk, one of the sit-stand or the rising desks, that actually utilizes a Raspberry Pi to control the desk. So we know we're huge fans, Michael, of the rising desk, the sit-stand mm-hmm. desk option. <laughs> I love it. I bought two of them, but neither of mine are operated by a Raspberry Pi. I assume yours is not. Well, this is really cool project, though. If you go in here, you can see all the work this individual did kind of taking the controller board. If you've ever seen a typical sit-stand desk, most of their controller pads are pretty much all the same and rewired the circuitry through into a Raspberry Pi. And then this allows different controls so that every 45 to 60 minutes or things, the desk will automatically go up. And that is good for people who kind of forget they're used to sitting all the time, forget that their desk can go up and it kind of forces you to stand every once in a while if you're working at your desk 12, 16 hours a day. But I think it's just amazing what you can do with these Raspberry Pi devices. And I would love to see more submissions from our community of clever things that they've done with their Raspberry Pis. Like, what is your stuff controlling? I have an OctoPi. I have a bunch of different types of servers that I've set up uh, on my Raspberry Pi, but I've not done anything creative with those GPIO pins yet. And so that's Mm -hmm. where I'm thinking next I'm going to have to start playing with. But I want to hear from the community what they have. Garage door opener, yeah. yeah. Michael AI integration into your Raspberry Pi. That could be a that's, thing. That's how Noah got I, stuck in the garage door. That is how I got stuck in the garage. Yeah. Couldn't well, open maybe it not that part. Yeah. I have a, e, a Raspberry Pi controlled e-ink weather station that I really enjoy. Oh, really? You made yeah. a weather station out of it. Yeah. You said it's e-ink display you're using? Correct. Very, yeah. very nice. When I was reading the... The, the blog post about how they did it, their their reason for doing it is because they got a sit-stand desk like I did, and they realized that they spent most of their time still sitting like I do. Mm-hmm. And this is a really good idea because it just, you don't even, you don't, you don't, you don't get a reminder to say, oh, you need to stand because I have that on my phone to tell me and I sometimes ignore it. And this is when it hits that time, the desk just goes up for you automatically and that's such a good idea. Imagine being in the middle of an interview, though, and it's like... That would scare the <laughs> hell out of me. Oh, no. Yeah. That would be difficult okay. to overcome. Sometimes it might be a problem, but that, it is a pretty cool idea. 
We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down to your stool, and send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Want to join in the community discussion? Then you need to head over to the DLN community form by going to, get this, we thought about this, dlnform.com. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Huh? We thought about that. You know what else we thought about? We said, <laughs> how can we bring value to our listeners? There are people out there and they have needs. And how do we, how do we serve them? And then we listened, we put our feelers out in the community and said, what are your needs? And the needs that came back were, Hey, I have this whole MongoDB thing, but I don't want to manage this MongoDB thing. I just want it to exist. Can destination Linux make it exist? We said, yes, no problem. So we got our lawyers on the phone. They con contacted our community people. Those community people reached out to other people. And eventually a big meeting happened in our 50,000 foot virtual stadium and what came out of that was the best deal of a lifetime it's the digital ocean managed mongodb as a service see we deliver that for you actually in con combination with digital ocean they did that for you it's a fully managed database database as a service or dbas as i like to say with managed mongodb you can focus more on building the scalable high performance app that you want to be working on and less time maintaining the database the thing that you don't want to be spending time on. You simply offload all of the MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean. You let them handle all of the heavy lifting, the provisioning, the manage of scaling, the updates, the backups, the security, all the stuff that has to happen if you want your database to work, but you don't want to actually have to do it. Now, DigitalOcean didn't do this on their own. They did this in partnership with the MongoDB people. What that means is they're working together to provide you a cohesive product that will get you access to the latest releases of MongoDB document databases as they become available. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of our DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you, well, they give us, and then we give it to you. I don't know. Somehow you get $100 when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo, and that will get you started with a free $100 credit on DigitalOcean. Now, why do they do that? Because DigitalOcean knows once you get started with that free credit of $100, you're going to spin up a massive droplet for $100. bucks. you are going to spin up a bunch of small ones for like five or ten dollars either way you're going to be hooked on digital ocean for life so go to do.co slash dln dash mongo that's do.co slash dln dash mongo and a huge thanks for digital ocean for sponsoring this episode of destination linux so this week we have another email to talk about because this was a really interesting question we had a lot of emails recently and we couldn't talk, cover all of them but we had to talk about these two that we put on the show but this one this one has it's kind of long so just bear with us but it is also really interesting. So, uh, dear Destination Linux, I've been a listener for your show for 12 months or so, and I feel like I found a treasure. I found DLN via Hardware Addicts after a random search on Spotify for some random hardware-related podcast. Did you hear that, Michael? Yes. You, you heard hardware, that, right? Hardware, hardware Addicts. addicts. Yes. Right. He didn't say he started with the linux -y thing. He said Hardware Addicts brought him to Linux. You see? That's true. Hardware Addicts is a great show. So check it out if you haven't. Uh, HardwareAddicts.org, also DestinationLinux.network to get everything. But anyway, back to the email. After this, I now use several distros like Mint, Ubuntu, Puppy, and also Raspbian. I have you to thank for raising my awareness for things like right to repair, freedom of open source, and care for privacy. Listening to the DLN show and experimenting with distros and Linux software have turned me into a fan and a defender of open source. Yeah. After listening to episode 242, which is the episode we talked about the new rules and laws that Australia pushed in really quickly, it became clear to me that we who care about privacy and openness need to get our act together and what I ask for might already exist, but here I go. So 
I feel the need for a software list for recommendations of software to replace Facebook, YouTube, email, etc., that kind of thing. And the list can be long or short, and I guess all can include recommended hardware brands like the ones that support the right to repair. I think this can raise awareness and would be a checklist to strengthen the growing community if the winter is coming, like in Australia. The info is probably available now, but perhaps scattered and not easy to get over get an overview of, at least for me. So thank you for your time and spent reading this, and thank you for the great effort you put in the show, Hakun. So this is a fantastic email, and you said maybe there is a list for this. So there might be somewhere, but there is now, and it's this episode. So we're going to mm-hmm. go into like a big list. Where we're going to list all the things that we have, uh, our solutions for alternatives, various different things like Facebook, YouTube, Gmail, and just anything we can think of. Might be a long segment, but we're going to get into as many as possible. So... We've compiled a list for all these different types of software with a focus on privacy. And we want to start off with, I think, Ryan, you have a, a lot of interesting ideas. So what is your what what is the first thing you want to discuss about an alternative? Well, first, I want to say thank you for this email. And I'm so happy. I, we've received so much feedback on the forums and an email about the episode in Australia. It really got a lot of people's attention with what happened there. And I guess if we could say anything good comes of a law being passed like this in such a nefarious way. It's that people are starting to realize and recognize how dangerous the footing we are now in the privacy world. So I appreciate you sending the email and asking for these recommendations. I've done several videos over the years regarding how to de-Googlify your life or utilizing privacy tools. And I just want to say for my recommendations, they've changed each and every year that I've done in, in, in some ways, not all of them, but a lot of them have changed each and every year that I've done these type of lists. And the reason is because one company at one point may be the most private option at that moment, but then may change something or another company comes along. So I would just want to say that this is one of those things where you kind of constantly, as you start getting into this InfoSec world and looking at privacy and software and things, want to keep looking at these companies and their policies and what they're doing to see if there's a better option out there. It's not something where this recommendation I may give you for email is, for instance, would be set in stone. For social media, I did a video just last week talking about the loss of freedom, talked about a lot of what was happening with Australia, but also other things that are happening within governments in other areas. And to me, the Fediverse is the option everybody should be looking into with social media. Social media has such an amazing promise to bring people together, to be able to have discourse and discussions with people from all around the world, but it really has been tainted. Everything from Facebook to Twitter, um, a lot of even the accounts or things that are happening on those platforms are known to be, I mean, this is all in the news. This isn't tinfoil hat stuff. Government agencies with thousands of people sitting around trying to popularize certain ideas or downvote other ideas. And so you don't even know if you're interacting with real people. And that's why I like the Fediverse. There's a website specifically, Fediverse.party, which lists out a complete list of social media sites. I love the way the site's laid out. It's really fun, easy to navigate. Of course, things like Mastodon are on there. And to me, that's Mm -hmm. kind of a give me to replace things like Twitter out there. But there are other social platforms that are more like your Facebook and things. Uh, Diaspora, I think, is one of them, amongst others, that also give you a lot more control and privacy. And because they're individual communities of servers out there in the Fediverse, but you all still can communicate, 
you have a lot more flexibility in the moderation and rules and censorship and, and privacy and things that you would expect in social media. So I think, number one, start with Fediverse.party and probably the most popular thing on the Fediverse right now is Mastodon. Yeah, I think Mastodon is a great suggestion. There's a lot of cool stuff in the Fediverse and that's a great website because it gives you like a, a nice quick access to see an overview of the most popular ones. And for when it comes to, you know, the Twitter alternatives for social there's i mean mastodon of course is one of the most popular if not the most popular and then there's also pluroma and miskey when they're basically kind of the same thing they're like micro blogging type of uh, twitter alternatives although mastodon does have the most users on it so that i'm not sure like depending on your preference of which one would be more official i think the beneficial factor is the more people on it the more helpful it is just because it, it creates more of a real social experience uh, so that's why I would say Mastodon is like the first one to check out. But there's also some other ones for the various different social networks like Facebook. There is a one called Diaspora, and it is essentially a Facebook alternative that is decentralized. Now, there's multiple different instances that you can use, uh, and those are also federated if you want to through pods. And uh, But the one I'd like is diasp.org. Uh, org, And also I wanted to talk about this one called PixelFed, which is an alternative to Instagram. So if you wanted to have a self-hosted, federated uh, Instagram-like experience, you can use PixelFed to do that. I really enjoy uh, Matrix, as we use here on Destination Linux Network for our in-house communications and for our patrons. And it's also a great Discord alt alternative. And yeah. It's encrypted, which is really great, much more secure. You know, that's a really good point because Element basically or Matrix has become a social network in itself. Like that's yep, where I hang yep. out with mm -hmm. all of you. That's where I talk with Noah about personal that's things, true. Michael, Jill. That's where we yeah. hang out. And so in a lot of ways, you could use that as your social network if you could get your friends and things over into that platform. And you've got everything from... Uh, little emoticons and picture sharing and file sharing and all of the stuff and jumping into a Jitsi room and talking with your friends. You've got a lot of stuff sitting right there you know, in that one tool. The the other thing that I think Matrix really does really well that no other platform does is it allows people to onboard on their own time. So for example, I finally got my Telegram account linked to Element, which is kind of huge for me because there were people that I had lost contact with and I have no interest in staying signed into Telegram. There are now places I go where you can't have Telegram on a device if you're going to put your computer on their network. That should tell you all you need to know really about Telegram security. But it it became quickly problematic. I wasn't able to take size so for a while. I was carrying around a separate device just so I could keep in contact with some of those people. And then eventually I just started one by one telling them like, hey, I'm sorry. I just you'll have to come over to Element or you have to just go back to email or, you know, give me a call or something. And linking my Telegram account allowed me to 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 reinteract with those people. But then as I started to receive all those messages, all of the alerts from my company that come from Libra NMS uh, over Element, I've got my work Element account. I've got my community Element account. I get all my SMS coming through Element. I've bridged other companies, clients that we work for, their Slack to Element, bridge Discord to Element. And I've gotten to the point now where I open one app and I'm mm -hmm. able to talk to people on all sorts of different networks. And it doesn't matter if you Facebook message me, text me, group, group me, me, uh, Slack me, all of that, you're all just a matrix chat to me. And so there's been other programs that have kind of sought to do that, 
But the way that Element does it is very elegant to where I can invite multiple accounts. So, hey, I'm on Element. I've got all my team on Element. Okay, I have this client that wants to text me back and forth, but really I need the guy that's in the field to respond to that. No problem. I invite him into that chat. He responds to that chat. It goes out as a text message as if it was me. They never know. They're never the wiser, right? And then when I'm done, I just kick that person out of the room and I go back to maintaining that SMS chat myself. So there's a tremendous amount of communication flexibility that comes with Element that just doesn't exist on their platforms. And like you said, Ryan, it's one of those things that's the last line in the sand. Once you and I establish a connection on Element, there's no breaking that. As long as you're willing to stay on your server and I'm willing to stay on mine, we'll be able to talk. And if you ever decide to leave, I'll just invite whatever your new account is back into our chat. You'll have the whole chat log. We can pick up right where we left off. That bridging is really powerful. So like you said, even if you have friends that don't want to sign up, they like their Discord, whatever, you could still bridge Mm -hmm. them over. That is such a powerful capability that allows you to have that one app again. You know, when we look at other solutions like for YouTube, if I'm being Mm -hmm. honest... There is no replacement for YouTube yet. There's not an exact replacement. There are things that try to be YouTube, but YouTube is kind of like the phone market in that the phone market is hard to have a third player because of one issue, in my opinion, which is the amount of apps and the amount of Mm. companies that write their apps for Android and iPhone. So if a third player came in, they would have to try to create that same type of app infrastructure where your banks and everybody else writes an app for them. And it's very difficult to get everybody on board to do that at one time. YouTube's Mm -hmm. in a similar state in which there's so many videos for so many years and so many tutorials and information and personalities and characters that it's really difficult to replace YouTube out there. So one Mm -hmm. thing I would say is containerize it. That would be one option if you want to keep using YouTube. But the best alternative I've found, and I've tried them all. My gosh, Michael, we get so many emails oh. from people who are like, can you please put your videos on this platform and that platform and this one? And honestly, most of them, frankly, are complete junk. I know some people like them, but the reality is from a creator standpoint, they're complete garbage. The only one that actually has some capability of replacing YouTube is Odyssey, in my opinion. It is a great place to support. All of my content gets posted there at the same time it goes on YouTube. So if you don't want to be on YouTube, you want to see our videos, Destination Linux is the same way. I think, Michael, all your videos go on Odyssey at the exact same time as well. Um, And one of the reasons that makes it really neat is that Odyssey provides a service kind of like what we're talking about with Matrix and Element, in which as a creator, anytime I post something to YouTube, it automatically, Mm. Odyssey grabs it and posts it there. So I don't have to do anything extra to have those folks who want that content there. But when I want to reach thousands of people, even when I'm talking about topics like privacy and security, which you're like, you're on a Google YouTube platform. Yes. But if I want to reach people, I'm not going to reach them on some platform that most of the people there already know about privacy and security. That's why they're on that platform. Mm -hmm. So YouTube still has a lot of advantages over a lot of services. And I think, again, the best one I found is Odyssey. So check that one out. Uh, and hopefully after enough years have gone by, they could probably dethrone YouTube as more and more content creators have that situation where their videos are automatically uploading to both platforms. And then you could go on Odyssey and get that tutorial that you want of how to fix your washer, dryer, refrigerator, mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be that you're looking for. Yeah. I totally- you know what, Ryan? I was just thinking of another one. It just popped in my head. is the Internet Archive. A lot of people oh, are yeah. starting. Yeah. <laughs> I just realized. Yeah. I- that's yeah. There are a lot of people one. putting videos and audio and stuff on the Internet Archive. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's not the easiest to navigate, but it does yeah. have a lot of great content there. 
and, uh, and you know what? The stuff that's been posted there is there forever. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, Ryan, about YouTube really being the the main platform still, though Odyssey could totally become that big alternative after a couple of years or so. Uh, but there's also something that Odyssey can do right now that might be interesting to some people, and that is be an alternative to Twitch because they recently added a live streaming to Odyssey. And depending on your like how many followers and stuff like that you have, what level of an Odyssey creator you are, you can have access to the live streaming, and that is very cool because Twitch is a it's an alternative that to YouTube in terms of live streaming, but it's it's mostly the it's the bigger player in knowing about tw- about live streaming. But at the same time it's not really a pay, a place that people grow on so odyssey could be an option for that as well yeah. because youtube is dominant and you and twitch is pretty much dominant but it's not as much as it used to be by a lot so uh, odyssey could be a solution for that but also there's dlive uh, now, DLive is a really interesting service as well because it's, again, it's an alternative to Twitch, but it says it has support for Restream. So you'd be able to do Twitch, DLive, and YouTube. However, every time I've tried DLive on Restream, it doesn't seem to work. I'm not sure if I'm doing something wrong or what's going on, but it doesn't seem to work. Now, if I can get it to work, I would like to implement that because it does sound pretty cool. Well, here's the thing about DLive, though, is that DLive runs off the blockchain which I think is very cool. And I love the idea and the service and actually has quite a bit of people streaming, gaming and services there. But when I was looking through their privacy policy, I personally was not very impressed with it. So when you think about, hey, I'm going to switch services, I want to look for something that's not owned by Amazon, which Twitch is, and I want to go to another service. Like Odyssey is a really good choice. I like their privacy policy. Yeah, I did not like DLive's privacy policy. It wasn't horrific. It wasn't great either. Um, for email, this is an interesting one because this is hot in the news right now. Normally, I and, and still I recommend for everyday users Proton Mail. Uh, Tutanota is another one I recommend as well that I think does a good job. Proton Mail is in the news this week because there was a specific case where the Swiss government asked for Proton Mail to basically set up because normally they don't capture information on their users set up a, a trap for, I don't know, trap or logging, however you want to call it for the IP address of a specific person that was targeted. Proton mail has put out a release out there, basically an email talking about the entire situation transparently, basically stating, look, we we've said from the very beginning, we're under Swiss law and Swiss law requires a ton of different uh, for other countries coming in and trying to get information and things, um, processes for other governments to try to get personal information on people. That's why they wanted to be uh, have their business in the location that it's in. But sometimes they are compelled by law to, for instance, they can't break your encryption key, but they can log in or track every time they get an IP ping if the government specifically asks them to target you. So are these services perfect for privacy and security? No, there's no such thing. Anytime you're paying another service to do that unless they're Mm. willing to shut down their entire business model every time one of these requests come down and shutter the company and restart a new one, then you're going to have situations like this. I still believe, though, as much of a privacy advocate I am, that Tutanota and ProtonMail are doing the best you can do with a service like that, Mm. where you're not hosting your own email. I think they are far superior to any option like a Yahoo or a Gmail or something like that, where they're reading your emails or where any of those requests, they're instantly not going to even ask a question, send all of your data over to another government entity. So I still, despite that, would highly recommend them. 
But I did come across a self-hosted option that I was kind of interested for those who are technical enough to do that. Now, typically, Michael, you've been one to say self-hosting an email is a terrible idea <laughs> because of the complexity of it. I second that. Yeah. But iRedMail <laughs> looked really interesting. Has anybody said seen iRedMail and does that yes. change your mind no. on no. that? No. There's a lot of cool stuff. There's iRedMail, there's Mail in a Box, there's many of them that exist and they're interesting because they're trying to make it an easier s- solution. The problem is not the software. The problem is the interconnection with the network of all the different uh, companies that you send the emails spam. to because yeah. the, there's spam. They can also like, can t- they can, there's, there's a lot of companies that will pretend to be your email and make you a spammer even though you're not spamming but you'll be flagged as a spammer so you get blacklisted and that sort of stuff it's not worth the hassle because of all of this stuff around it not the software i worked in an organization had two full-time mail administrators two full-time mail administrators and yeah they spent hours and hours and hours a week on mxtoolbox.com just Mm. seeing what lists that they got added to so they could get themselves unadded Wow. And yeah, it, it just, it, it is unmanageable. And they had emails that were down. So, or they had times that their email was down. So I, unless you have an entire staff dedicated to doing it, or if you're okay, like there might be somebody out there who's like, Hey, for the privacy, I'm totally cool with it. If my emails don't make it to people that are on Gmail and Yahoo, uh, and Hotmail, then I'm okay with it. If that's you, Okay. Just understand that any of the major email providers, you have to negotiate with Microsoft and Google because you are the mail provider. And so when you're going with a provider, they do that on your behalf. Additionally, you're going to get a ton of spam coming into your mailbox. So all of your users are going to get hundreds and hundreds of spam messages a day. And if you don't sign up for a spam service to filter that out, then that's it's, that's just going to hit you. There's no penalty for sending that that spam to you. So yeah. all those reasons, I would tell you, you just you really shouldn't host your own email. Yeah. yeah, it's not worth the hassle at all. Uh, there are some uh, some options that are sort of self-hosting and not self-hosting, like using a email from a shared hosting company and stuff like that. That would basically work, and it would, you would allow you to not have to do the managing and stuff, but the blackballing stuff you'd still kind of have to deal with. And but they do have like um, you know spam assassin and stuff like that built into those services. So it's something if you really want to do some kind of self-hosting, then consider. Uh, not exactly fully self-hosting, but it is kind of in a way, sort of. But I, I would still say check out the other ones like uh, Proton Mail, Tutanota, MailFence, stuff like that, because it's going to be a lot easier. And I mean, not only a lot easier, it's just going to be like it's basically you know walking up some stairs versus climbing a mountain. It's yeah. it's a massive yeah. difference. And if you want to bring all your email addresses together, you can use Thunderbird, which I've been using for years. You know, I bring all my accounts in, even Gmail that I have to use for my work. <laughs> so, but you know what's but interesting? At least it encrypts it, you know? What's interesting <laughs> so. about that, Jill, is when I switched from back in the day, my Gmail to my Proton Mail, this was a several year process. It mm. took several years to be able to find, because not every account that you make, you instantly remember, this is pre-Bitwarden, of course, you don't have, you know, you instantly remember that you have an account with, or they'll send some verification code on some obscure account that you had <laughs> from years ago uh, into the old Gmail account that you used to sign up for everything back in the day. And so it took years for me to finally be able to kill the Gmail account and not have any of my mail going there 
And it's interesting because in the cell phone world, this was regulated heavily. It used to be really difficult to change carriers. And the government basically came in and said, hey, you guys got to cut it out. You got to make it so that people can swap carriers and you can't pigeonhole them in. But email service is a place where you basically, once you pick an email provider and you start signing up for services there, in a lot of ways, depending on how long you've used that service for, you are stuck there. And it is a pain to move. So something like Thunderbird you're mentioning, where you can bring all your accounts together. Every time you get an email that comes into that old Gmail account, you can go to that account, change that email address to your ProtonMail or those things, but it's going to take some time. It's a major pain. I suggest heavily on ProtonMail. I still yeah, think Proton. they're one of the best. <laughs> they're great. And I have been enjoying enjoying Tutanata, yep. especially since we've interviewed well. them. I've been really you know, using that a lot more. Yep. Yeah. And Absolutely. also we can kind of like transition from those to, you know, email to calendar because both of those services mm -hmm. provide calendars as well. So ProtonMail and Tutanota, there's also, uh, as yeah. Jill mentioned, you can use Thunderbird for your email, but you can also use the Lightning calendar that's built in the Thunderbird if you want to do that for a local offline sort of uh, calendar. Now, for those who want something that is, you know, easier to use in a sync, like, you know, mobile devices and stuff like that, uh, Thunderbird is not going to provide that for you, but you can use it to connect to other applications. But for example, ProtonMail and Tutanota both have mobile apps that you could connect with your calendar and that sort of stuff. So there's that. Also, MailFence has an as an example as well. Uh, and but that one's a, a privacy-focused one. So if you want to check those out, there's a lot of great features. So you get the benefit of email and calendar with one service and they cost a very reasonable price to check them well, they're out. free to sign up and then if you need more storage which you probably will some of the features very cheap to sign yeah. up for dns services noah i'm interested in your take here a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about quad nine they talk about cloudflare utilizing as dns obviously you could self-host your own we've all talked about pi hole right as that layer in between but as far as having a dns service which one what do you recommend to people here you know, I'm going to tell you that the dust hasn't settled on this, and so there isn't a clear winner. Um, there's a lot of really exciting things out there, Cloudflare being one of them, their support for encrypted DNS being one of them. Um, Firefox's native encryption of DNS bit me as a parent. I tried to block YouTube in my house. <laughs> my son was still able to get to YouTube, and I'm like, how is that possible? It can't even resolve YouTube.com. How is it even possible? I look. Firefox is resolving it encrypted. My router can't know nice. that he's going to YouTube.com. So there, there's a lot of really great mm -hmm. options out there. I just don't think the none of them have been around long enough. None of them are mature enough. None of them have been knocked on. Um, my metric for that kind of thing is court cases. When you see, mm. because that's the only time you ever have sure. a paid interest to pay a computer forensic expert to try to break something down and then, right. you know, catch something. And so, when that hasn't happened yet, and we haven't seen cases of, well, we couldn't get those DNS records because they were encrypted, you know, when that, when I start to see that kind of stuff comes in, then I'll be able to be like, no, stamp of approval. Here's what I do. For now, I say play with them all. Uh, turn on encrypted DNS in Firefox. Set Cloudflare as your DNS on your computer. It's faster than Google anyway. Um, and they have better mm -hmm. privacy policy to go with it. So I would say play with all of them and see what you like, see what you don't like, and then help contribute to that conversation because it's happening right now. I really like that answer in there. And and that kind of goes to what I was saying earlier is that these recommendations are recommendations now, but something could happen where, like Noah said, a case could come up against Cloudflare and we may change our recommendations and we'll try to <laughs> update everybody as those things change there. But I use Cloudflare as well as my DNS. Um, I've also tried Quad9 and others as well, but Cloudflare seems to be one of the fastest ones out there. 
And I've really been happy with the results so far, but that could change. Um, we're doing the best we can with this privacy stuff because in a lot of ways, you try you trust these companies and hope they're doing the things that they say. Uh, but it's definitely something I think a lot of people who are getting into privacy for the first time forget about. They're using the DNS servers that their ISP set. And I can yeah. tell you that's definitely not secure. Yeah. And that's why, you know, um, even my students, I always recommend, you know, open DNS also as an option, yep. uh, just because it's, it's, it's quick and easy and, um, uh, they don't have to rely on their, you know, local IP for slower internet. <laughs> nope. Good point. And I do love Cloudflare. Uh, I've been enjoying using that as well. <laughs> Those are really good points. And so for me, when we go into the next section, this is one that I'm about to do a video on because I have signed up for near all of the ones that everybody recommends out there, which is mm -hmm. VPNs out there. And I could tell you, I used to be a private internet access and that's it. And that's not a bad option still, by the way. So I'm not saying don't go private internet access, but I'm a huge fan after trying Proton VPN and all of them of Molved VPN. It's my favorite so far. I have it on multiple devices. It's ease of use, it's speed its ability to get the application on any Linux distro, because you know I hop around a lot, on any of the phone devices that I utilize, because I have a lot of them, any of the mobile devices, putting it on my wife's device, my kid's device. I just like Molvad. I like what they offer. I like their privacy policy. I like the fact you could practically pay them with any way you could imagine possible, they will accept as a payment form in there. I love the idea I don't have to sign up for an account. It just It's a random set of numbers that's my account, that's my name, that's my address, that's my everything for them is just a random gibberish of numbers. I don't have like a, you know, DOS geek one, blah, 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 to sign into Molvad. Mm -hmm. And I can send payments that are completely anonymous. So that's not even tied. It's just tied to that random string of numbers. They have no other information on me. I love Molvad for that. Yeah, Molvet is a very interesting service, and I think that their their price is also reasonable, and I like how it's so straightforward. It's $5, and that's it. That's 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 their policy. There's no deals. Yeah, nothing. And if and they give you option to use Bitcoin, or if for some reason you want to send them cash in an envelope, you can do that too. I don't know why you would, but you can. And that is a really cool feature. That and they also, as Ryan said, there's uh, DEBs and RPMs for pretty much every distro, so you can put it on whatever you want. But also, even if your distro doesn't have support for their app, you can use their pre-made uh, configurations for OpenVPN and WireGuard. So you can just inject it in. So no matter what distro you're using, you can still use Molved. And I think that's really really awesome for them to do that. Uh, and also there, are, there is Proton VPN, which is another good option. So if you want to check those out, mm -hmm. uh, th I think that they're both fantastic. But I would have to agree that I uh, I think Molvad is the best option for those who want to get easy access to setup and easy configuration and also care about privacy. You can also create a digital ocean droplet with your own VPN if you want to do that and go all out. Mm -hmm. So that's another option. But uh, I'm going to have to second Molvad. When we talk about the importance of somebody getting into privacy, I feel like changing your DNS service for your ISP, getting a new email client, and getting a VPN is super critical things to start taking back your privacy. Like all of those things together are going to make you leaps and bounds above the rest of the population in and of itself, just having those services. But I'll tell you one area, being in the phone world that I'm in that a lot of people don't seem to understand. And that is the dangers of SMS and iMessage. 
and they think mm-hmm. in the messages that they're sending to people are private mm-hmm. or they're encrypted. And SMS, as we know, just totally is complete garbage encryption. It's not private at all. It's horrific for anything. And that's what Android, well, they're trying to switch, but that's what they use. They're trying to switch to RCS um, if your Android device supports it, which actually would have encryption. But SMS by itself, I mean, it's readable by everything. If you look at court cases, like Noah was saying, guess what they're going to do in a court case? They're literally going to have every SMS message you had sent as it was sent literally verbatim with the timestamps and everything that are on there and your location and where it's at. Like SMS is the most unprivate way of messaging somebody possible, which is why I highly recommend that people use something other than SMS Mm -hmm. when they're talking to people, their family, loved ones, anything else. And I think the easiest one, I'm not saying it's the best, the easiest one to get other people to sign up for, because this is one of those really difficult things to get other people to utilize who are not into privacy. And I think that's signal. Otherwise, of course, Element and Matrix would be an amazing option if you have friends that you can spend some time with on that and explain why that's such an amazing solution. Totally go that route with them if you can. If they're just somebody who doesn't care about that stuff and won't listen, I think Signal's a good option. But even if you're using iMessage, which is encrypted technically locally on your device before it sends out, if you set up iCloud, that is gone because that encryption key actually gets uploaded to the cloud on Apple servers there. So it is not encrypted at that point and they could read all of your messages there. So don't rely on iMessage either, despite Apple's claims that um, it's very safe because of end-to-end encryption. Yes, it is encrypted, but once you do the iCloud portion of it, your key is sent up to the cloud. And I started using Signal because of Ryan. Actually, uh, when I started here on Destination Linux, that's how we communicated each other. And I love it. It has a lot, lot more features than most of the other SMS clients, and it's a lot faster. And so I've gotten all my friends and family and uh, the Linux chicks and all my groups using nice. it. It's great. Nice. Signal <laughs> is very good. There's also uh, Wire Session and, of course, yeah. Element Matrix. And these are all good. And there's different level of ease of use in terms of like barrier to entry and also just in general. Uh, but I agree with Ryan that Signal is the easiest one to get started with. The only thing that I don't like about it is what makes it easy. And that is the fact that it uses your phone number to create like your account. Yeah. So yeah. and if you if you don't want to share your phone number with someone, you can't really use Signal with them. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I, I wish they would make something like what Session did, where they just created an ID. So uh, whether it's, yeah. I mean, I don't, maybe usernames wouldn't be that great because you could kind of um, you know, s- sort of spoof them, but change one letter and that sort of stuff. But creating an ID that you could reference maybe would be better. I don't know. But Signal did say that they're looking into some kind of solution for this. But for now, it, it's if you have a problem with giving your phone number, Signal will, you know, not p- fit for you. And you might want to check out Session, which is a fork of a signal and it turns it into uh, it's really interesting because a uh, mm-hmm. session does a more anonymous approach when it doesn't use a phone number uh, but i think that you know it is easier to use signal it kind of runs through tor it's a decentralized onion yeah. routing i don't think it uses the exact tor network it uses some 
version of their own. Anyways, you could look it up there. It, it's kind of interesting how they're doing it. But actually, one of the patrons I have that does a lot of he's in InfoSec professionally, helps me with a lot of the videos I'm doing with privacy, do fact checking and stuff, uh, recommended session one to play with it recently. And we were doing messages back and forth. It was a pretty cool experience there. But again, at the point you have somebody who's technically inclined that's your friend, I think send them over to Element Matrix. Uh, is probably the best bet to do your communications with. If they're not, Signal's a really good option for the yeah, rest of That's a fair folks. point. Session is pretty cool, but it is a kind of an easier approach for Element Matrix uh, in some ways. Uh, but I do think that they're all great options. Also, Wire, we mentioned that a little bit, but Wire's a good option. And it, they and Wire, Session, and Signal use the same protocol for encryption. So it's very similar in terms of like the, the value of the privacy and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah. I agree. Signal is one of those, the easiest one to get started with for anyone who's familiar with WhatsApp and that sort of stuff. So I'm going to throw a, uh, a plug out here for DittoChat. Uh, you can learn more at DittoChat.org. Mm. But essentially what DittoChat is, is a very easy to use. I mean, there's essentially, there's a button to log in. There's a button to sign up. You fill out your name, you fill out your email address. You can make an email address up. You can sign up for one for free at ProtonMail if you want. And then you can talk to your friends. Where the rubber hits the road is behind the scenes of Ditto Chat, it's using Matrix underneath. And so That's when you say, hey, I want to move on to full encryption, I want to be able to do all the fancy things my friends are doing, well, guess what? You already have your you already have your Matrix account, you already have your credentials, all the people you're talking to, you can stay there. All the rooms that you're participating in, you can continue to do that, but you can now just use the full-on element software and take advantage of all the additional features that come with it. And be prepared to deal with all of the troubleshooting that comes. But for my fam friends and family members that are just, hey, I need something I can just download off the Play Store, sign up and send you a message. Ditto chat. Nice. Mm -hmm. It's a good suggestion there. So the last thing I have on my list anyways is when we talk about these cloud drives. I think this is one of the most dangerous things out there right now for personal information that companies are mm -hmm. using and abusing terribly. We've heard about the news of things that have happened with iCloud in the past you know, the celebrity gate issues and things along those lines were generally hacks that took place against the iCloud may have been user issues, may have been other things, but people trusted that that stuff was completely safe and encrypted. And it was not. Um, I recommend to people when they ask about, I want to use an Android or I want to use an iPhone. Don't use iCloud. Don't use Google drive. Don't use them ever for anything private. The first thing you do when you get your new Android device or your new iPhone is turn off all the cloud service syncs and things out there and find something else. Now, if you're technical, the easy answer here, go Nextcloud. If you want to maintain your servers and those type of things, you want to get into that stuff, Nextcloud is a really awesome solution there where you can store your files and organize and things like that. If you're not as technical and you want to be hands-off, I'm still a huge fan of mega.nz. Out there, I think they offer an amazingly good deal for amount of storage that they have. It's end-to-end -end locally encrypted uh, when you're sending your files and uploading them there. Would I personally put my most personal information up there on mega.nz? No, but I would store most of my regular photos and things like there, and I feel like it's fairly secure. So I think it's a good option if you're not into um, setting up your own server and things. And that's my recommendation in that area. There's, you know, there's the option for Nextcloud, which is a good option for people who want to have a suite of all different types of tools. But if you want a file hosting only thing, there are some options for that directly. Uh, but there's also like, for example, with uh, let's say you want to do photos, you can do Google, a Google photo alternative, for example, would be like uh, Puigo. 
uh, P-I-W-I-G-O, and also oh. Lychee. Like both of these oh, are self-hosted. Yeah, they're really yeah. cool. There, there are ways to store photos for you that you can do self-host. You can also make it possible for people to like see a gallery and all sorts of stuff if you want to share some, but you don't have to share it. So there's things like that. But also there are other kinds of options like um, let's say you want to do um, like notes or documents or something like that. You could do self-hosting with uh, Joplin. And that's a great option for, you know, if you have your own server or if you have another server, you can do, you can even do stuff through Dropbox with Joplin if you wanted to, because it's going to encrypt it locally on your system. Now, I would still prefer to do self-hosting like I do, but you could do it if you want to. And then there's, of course, other options like, there's other options like if you want to do Etherpad, which is another way to doing Mm -hmm. docs online. There's also HedgeDoc, which we're using right now to do the show. (laughs) Yeah, HedgeDoc is a really cool thing. Uh, HackMD. Uh, HackMD is a, is a service that is based on HedgeDoc, essentially. Uh, yeah. But that's a proprietary service. So if you want to host it yourself, that's HedgeDoc. And HackMD is the one that's the the service. Uh, but it is free to use it if you want to. Uh, but there, like, there's so many different great options. And also uh, MailFence documents is another option. And standard notes. Come on. Standard, standard notes. notes. Yeah. Standard notes is one I of my favorite. I cannot live without my standard notes. There are yeah. two things I have to install immediately on a new install. Standard yes. notes and Bitwarden. Those are the two now, first you, things that I install. Do you self-host <laughs> those or you use the service? I all Both of them, I just use the service. I don't self-host either of them. Nate, nobody got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's encrypted. They don't have your info. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing I want to mention, though, is encrypt your installs of your OS if you're a privacy person. I was looking mm. at Ubuntu desktop statistics and only 3% of the partitions, according to their wow. statistics on their users, are actually encrypted. So, so many people are installing Linux and they're not encrypting their drives. And I think that is just one easy thing. If you're looking in the installers, Calamari's, it doesn't matter what installer you're using now, they pretty much all have a little mm-hmm. checkbox to encrypt your drive. Click that box, put in an encryption password, that's going to make you far more privacy uh, focused and have more security on your devices. Just doing that little action alone uh, is a really important step. Also, one of the final things I wanted to talk about is the search options, because we, t- we talked a bit about this on episode 241 of Destination Linux. There's DuckDuckGo, there's Cirques. Cirques, Cirques. There's Cirques. Cirques, yes. Cirques. Uh, Apparently, Ryan is a fan of Cirques. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. You can find out more about that on episode 241 of Destination Linux. And Hakun, thank you so much for your wonderful email and sharing your new Linux journey with us, your Destination Linux family. I hope all this information, you know, you utilize and it's useful for you. I'm just excited, Jill, to hear people (laughs) are getting interested in privacy and security. Every time I get a moment to talk about this, people probably wish they never mentioned it to me, but I get excited because I can't stop talking about it because finally people are listening and I hear it more and more. I hear it in the general public, in the workplace, and people looking at their phones, their devices, all this tracking, all this stuff, and they're starting to worry about it. This actually is a really good sign because now we can start getting people to look at these other services, which not only offers Mm -hmm. you privacy and security, but in many ways are actually better than the brand name services that they've been using out there. Oh, yeah. And it's so amazing in the Linux community that we're getting new users because of security concerns Good point. with, you know, Windows and Mac OS. Yep. So and Windows 11 ain't going to be helping wonderful. that. We're going to have a lot <laughs> yeah. of new family members coming over here real soon. Yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And the final thing I want to talk about is password managers because we have a fantastic uh, sponsor of this episode with Bitwarden because there's so many great things about it. And like people, you know, you might use your your browser for your Google Chrome. If you use Google, don't do that. Use Firefox. Or you might use Firefox. Also still maybe not use their password manager because that's not the best option for that. You want to have Bitwarden. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN because Bitwarden is a fantastic password manager. It's open source and it has all sorts of great features. So if you want to store your passwords in a secured vault, you got that. You want to auto-generate those passwords for you so you don't have to do it. You got that too. Also, it can automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this. And you get access to this data on all types of different devices, whether it's your, your web browser or your mobile apps or your desktop applications or even on the command line. Plus, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is of course incredibly important because you want to make sure that you when something like this privacy is the utmost of importance and that's what bitwarden takes care of so bitwarden.com slash dln to get started and did i mention you can start it for free well you can but i also think you want to check out their premium account because you get a lot of great stuff at less than a dollar per month that's right for less than a dollar per month you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage two-step login with yubikey u2f duo vault health reports bitwarden authenticator for temporary one-time passwords priority customer service bitwarden send so much great stuff at Bitwarden. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN. Make the smart move like many of the community have and get your account at Bitwarden. And also, if you have a business or if you want to help your your friends and family get started with Bitwarden, they have great features for that. They have the business accounts for organizational vaults where you can share access to different passwords without having to have like share logins to the actual accounts. You don't want to do that. But if you create a business account or a family account, you can easily and safely and securely share your different passwords and your other sensitive data to other people in your network, which is so fantastic. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So this week in the news, Callie had a new release. We're talking about security and things, so why not talk about mm-hmm. like the greatest pen testing distro out there in the world that just happened to have a new release this week, 2021.3. A lot of great features and enhancements. They have new tools too. Let me read off some of these tools because they're pretty cool. You got Berate AP, orchestrating mana rogue Wi-Fi access points. Caldera, scalable automated adversary emulation platform. I have no idea what any of that means. It just sounds awesome. You have EAP (laughs) Hammer, targeted evil twin attacks against WPA2 Enterprise. You have Host Hunter, Router Keygen. You have Subjack, subdomain takeover tools in here, WPA Psychofent evil client portion so, of EAP relay attacks. So, with the evil twin <laughs> attacks, are they looking for the 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 software that has a goatee? Yeah, is that exactly. What, okay, cool. Naturally, like every movie, right? The evil <laughs> twin has to have. A goatee. I, I like what you. I, like, I see what you're throwing down there, Michael. That's good. Um, so, there's a lot of cool stuff in Cali. There always is. I like having Cali and, and and installing it and just looking at all the different tools, playing with them, and then messaging Bo Weaver and saying, "What is this thing actually doing?" And then he explains it to me. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to do in Cali. <laughs> there's a really cool thing in Cali that caught my attention this week. And if you don't know, you can install Cali on a plethora of different devices out there. Literally, when you go to their website, you have a whole list of devices from ARM to phones and everything else. Specifically, though, they're talking about running NetHunter on a smartwatch. Now, I've been on the hunt 
or a better smartwatch. I've got a video coming out about this too, because I was pretty addicted to the health benefits of having a smartwatch out there, but I never thought I might be able to get a smartwatch with all of the health tracking and everything else, but that also runs Cali. How cool would this be? That's so very Cali, interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Mm. NetHunter is a free and open source mobile penetration testing platform for Android devices. And it's based on Kali Linux. And this specific watch that they are using here that they've gotten this to work. Now, this is in beta, so they're still building this out. But it's just so cool, I could not talk about it. And if you go to their release notes, you can see a picture of this watch, and it's awesome. So they're partnering with TickWatch, and they're calling this particular watch here the Tick Hunter Pro. Now, I went looking to go buy a Tick Hunter Pro, like, right then. I couldn't find one, but I did find a Tick Watch Pro 3 on Amazon, which I think, based on the pictures, what they're using here, that they're loading Cali in. So if somebody knows, let me know. But I think this is going to be the watch that I have to have. I mean, I've got this Garmin thing on my wrist I've been trying out and stuff, but being able to tell people I've got Cali here on my smartwatch would just be absolutely awesome. I mean, I could show up Bo. I'd be like, yeah, Bo, that's real cute. <laughs> do you have it on your watch, my smartwatch. Yeah, do you have it on your watch? Yeah. What do you guys think about this? I think this is very cool, and it's That's it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's yeah. super interesting that they're you're putting in the effort to make it. Like I know you can put it on a lot of stuff already, but to put it on a smartwatch, actually, I'm I want them to make a version that is yellow, and it be like a Dick Tracy edition <laughs> because it's kind of sort of what that would be, and that would be just awesome. <laughs> yeah, I want it on my Pine Time. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Jill. How cool would yeah. it be to get Pine 64 partnered with Cali and Absolutely. have this on a Pine Time, like a Pine Time Pro? And you've got this. That would be insane. Can you uh, can you do my security analysis? No problem. One second. What are you doing? Your security analysis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There we go. You've got 19 open ports, a couple of IPs that aren't... Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just great. awesome. Now, the features are limited currently to performing just USB attacks or testing. Uh, and some basic other functionality. But I'm seeing a future. I don't mind having antenna plugs hanging out there. I can put on new antennas and things to do more advanced attacks. <laughs> I don't care how geeky I look. I've got Kelly on my watch. You really going to mess with me? I don't think so. That's what I'm looking forward to. This is a future I've, I, I'm so excited about because the smartwatch world, you want to talk about a privacy disaster. This has been the hardest thing for me to navigate, to find a watch that actually respects people's privacy and has the features, the health features and things that someone may be looking for, especially if they're like me getting up there in age and you need to have things like EKG monitoring or heart monitoring or other stuff that you're interested in, but keep your privacy. It's really hard to find something like that out here. So yeah, I like the idea. Pine Time partner with NetHunter here. Mm -hmm. That would be beautiful. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And also I want them, what I want them to do is like to have a, a version where if you have all the different antennas, like you were saying, instead of having antennas, have an extended thing that turns it into a gauntlet. That would be amazing. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah think you're thinking it. ahead there. I like yeah. that. I don't know if I put this in the show, but I was thinking the gauntlet was like the thing from Predator. So you could like pop it up uh, and start messing with stuff. I see. Oh yeah, that. and you, you have a <laughs> atom bomb built into your. Wrist. I mean, maybe not that part. <laughs> maybe don't put a don't put a bomb in it. But like you know, the, the other stuff that would be cool that is mm. violent. <laughs> now it's lame. I like it with the bomb in it. Oh, okay, <laughs> make sure they note that down. <laughs> 
So the software spotlight this week relates very heavily to privacy and security, which fits perfectly with what we've been talking about this episode. So check out Veracrypt. Veracrypt is an open source disk encryption service. So basically what it does, it gives a ton of different features. You can create a virtual encrypted disk within a file and also it mounts as a real disk. You can do encryptions on an entire partition or a storage device such as a USB flash drive or a hard drive. It'll encrypt the partition or the drive where Windows installed, which is something you would definitely wanna do if you're gonna be using Windows for any reason. Also encryption is automatic and works on the fly in real time and is a transparent function so you don't have to mess with it all the time, which is fantastic. It also has parallelization and pipelining allowing the data to be re to have read and write as fast as if the drive was not encrypted, which is a very important thing because a lot of the times in the past, you'd have other options where the encryption takes forever and you wanted to you know, decrypt your system every time, it would just take a while to be able to do it. Now you can do it in parallel, which is great. Also, encryption can be hardware accelerated on modern processors, which is one of the ways that they make it as fast as they do. And there's also so much other benefits. Like there's, uh, it also say that they provide plausible deniability in case- I any like that. I like Was it, it me? Too. Was <laughs> it me? It's, it's really, it's really cool. Uh, so they say plausible deniability in, in case an adversary forces you to reveal your password, you can do a hidden volume. So you, re you can reveal something that isn't actually your data, which is really, really awesome. So check out Veracrypt. We'll have links in the show notes. Our tip of the week this week is piping commands through SSH. Wait a minute. Are you saying use SSH and run commands on a remote machine? Well, yes, you can do that. You can SSH in the machine and then you can run the commands on there. But I'm talking about piping the command through from the remote machine. You want an example? I'll give you one. So let's say you want to add your SSH keys onto a remote machine. You would use cat and then the path to your SSH public key and then a pipe SSH, the user at the remote box and then cat two carrots pointing to the right, which will say where I want to spit that file out and then the path to that file. So in this case, it would be slash dot or home uh, slash dot SSH slash authorized underscore keys. And without ever actually SSHing in and prompting for authentication and doing all that, you've done it remotely. Of course, you're going to have to authenticate either with a password or with your SSH key, but you can run that command remotely. Another example might be dumping all of the processes running on another computer into a local file. This is one we use all the time. SSH, then the user and the remote box in quotations, PSAUXF, and then pipe that cat out to a uh, a file. So processes uh, for remotebox.txt, something like that. You could also play local audio remotely and where both sides, both your side, the remote side and, or excuse me, your side, the local side and the remote side are going to hear it. Cat slash dev slash DSP, then a pipe, SSH, user at remote box in quotations, cat, and then out to slash dev slash DSP. So there's obviously a number of different ways that you can use this. And so we invite you to explore that tool and check out the way that you can pipe SSH or pipe commands through SSH. If you'd like more tips and tricks, we invite you to watch past week episode as well as come back and tune into future editions where we'll have more tips and tricks from beginner to sudor. I love it. Thank you, Noah. And thank all of you for all of your support, each and every one of you supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, 
you become a patron, like all of these beautiful people behind the scenes, the audio is being piped in directly into the 50,000 square foot stadium. We had to cut it in half. It's no longer as big anymore. <laughs> we just couldn't, we just couldn't afford all of those additional rooms and things, but the 50,000 square foot seems to be enough for Michael's office and stool things. Collection. he has stool collection, all of that. So it's plenty of space. There's still so much room for you there. If you want to come on over, become a patron, <laughs> you get all kinds of awesome perks. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at dealinlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording at Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. And if you're disappointed that Ryan told you about the whole virtual stadium going down to the 50,000 square feet, then you can check out dealinstore.com and help us fund a bigger virtual stadium where you can get swag. For example, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, aprons, backpacks, all sorts of stuff. And there's so much great stuff at dealinstore.com to check it out if you want to help fund that virtual stadium. And make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. So make sure to go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. See you next week. Yeah. <laughs>